Hey up, my name is Nathan Newman and this is OK Commuter, the podcast that nudges the headlines aside for a short while and makes you a hot chocolate. This is the final episode in a short detour series about making movies. Previous episodes have featured guests talking about visual effects and music composition. Today we hear from filmmaker Keith Allett. Nathan, why are you going on about films on the podcast? Is a question I don't get, as no one asks me anything other than, do you want your receipt? But it's an imaginary question that helps this intro. As mentioned in a previous episode, some of the inspiration for this podcast miniseries came from listening to Edith Bowman's brilliant podcast, Soundtracking, where she speaks to directors, actors, writers and producers about their films and their soundtracks. And it made me think about the people we don't often hear about when films come out, as well as how this process of creating soundtracks might be different on low or even no budget films. However, on a personal note, it's been a tough couple of years for me and I've realised how often I turn to films or TV shows for not just escapism, but hope and inspiration. Like everyone else, I can often leap to quick conclusions and rush to give a hot take on something and whether I enjoyed my viewing or not, I often don't consider the huge amount of time and effort that goes into producing these works from a team of people. And then this progresses and grows and pulls in different people to morph into something larger that arrives on our screens. Maybe you're similar to me and you have a trusted selection of films that you turn to at certain times. Like if I'm ill and confined to the bed or sofa, I can't resist the spectacle and nonsense of a disaster film. It has been rumoured that I can spend consecutive days watching The Day After Tomorrow, Armageddon, Deep Impact or 2012. Or if I'm feeling a bit low for some reason, I crave a rom-com more than usual and will seek out the company of Harry and Sally. Or when I have a day off, I frequently return to classics or perhaps a difficult film I've been waiting to be in the right mood for. If any of this sounds familiar, I'd love to hear which films you turn to and when. So concluding this little mini-series diversion, in this episode I speak to filmmaker Keith Allett. But before Keith introduces himself, I wanted to share with you a piece of music from one of my comfort films, L'Appartement. Released in 1996, written and directed by Gilles Mimouni, and starring Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassel, it is a mystery drama with a very French twist of romance, desire and style. I love how the music lilts and swells whilst picking a delicate thread for you to follow. It's composed by Peter Chase and I hope you enjoy it. The full composition is a wee bit long, so this has been trimmed down for this podcast.
So, let's meet Keith Allett. My name's Keith Allett. I'm a filmmaker. I create my own films based around narrative stories, documentaries, experimental visuals, promos. I work with different community organisations. I also teach film um, to uh, young people aged between 5 and 19. Um, uh, electric universities um, and work with people across any age um, to help them make films as well and try to um, engage them in filmmaking. And I'm also chairperson of 75, which is a filmmakers forum. How long would you say you've called yourself a filmmaker? That's a good question. I spoke to somebody about this the other day who were really shy about calling themselves a filmmaker. And I said, it's it's quite a difficult thing to do because it's not like um, a, a normal... Uh, everyday runner you know sort of that that's that's a job that everybody sort of does and whenever you say it people go ooh you know like we'll be filmmaker um and it is quite especially if it's something you've always wanted to do when you finally get there that's quite tricky to say that you are you are one um I've, well, I've been making films for about 20 years um and I've been studying films for longer than that but I think I probably started calling myself a filmmaker about 15 16 years ago um after I finished university um and thought, right, well, now I've got to go out and... And now I've learned loads about it, I've got to go out and do it, so... Yeah. Apologies for this one, but as I've asked it of every guest in this mini-series so far, I, I, I can't stop now. Is the first question you get when you tell people you make films, what have you made that I've seen? <laughs> yeah, I either get that, um, or um, do you know how to do this in Harry Potter? I used to get that a lot. Um, older audiences, you get another sort of genre of film I'd be asked to do that um, I get asked loads of different things um, but yeah most of the time it's um, it's people saying like if, if you don't know on telly or you know what have I seen and you have to explain sort of the, the environment how film works that's it. now I'm just going to throw this straight out there for a new filmmaker perhaps someone with little or no budget surely sorting out the soundtrack to your movie is as simple as picking a favourite song and sticking it over the top right? yeah uh, no <laughs> um uh, a lot. I've seen a lot of films ruined by doing that. Um, so really, really good work that people have made and then put on um, copyrighted uh, uh, songs. So, you know, like I really like this Radiohead song or something. I'm going to put that on there. As soon as you do that as a filmmaker, especially filmmakers who are starting out, um, they make that mistake a lot. It just completely limits where you can put that film. And over the last few years of working with filmmakers, we've been re- I've really tried to work hard on them to get the, the film out after it's been finished, to not just splash it onto YouTube and go, here's my new film, because it's a waste. There are places you can put that that will advance your career, that will get you more work, that will you know show people how good you are and be a lot more of a sort of a useful thing for you than just putting it on YouTube. Um, sometimes you can put it on YouTube with a copyrighted song on. They might you know, report you or whatever, but usually they put ads on there instead and, and that sort of thing. But um, it just limits where you can put it. You can't enter festivals, you can't enter competitions, you can't put it in front of people. Um, certainly production companies and things like that probably wouldn't watch it. Um, it it's, it's so limiting when you put a copyrighted song on. Um, so I would avoid it like the plague. But use it. Um, a film we made in 2014 called Flawless was based um, on uh, something, a story at the time that I was thinking about, but the mood and the tone of it was based around Nano 2 by Aphex Twin. Uh, 
Um, and we even looked at buying the rights for that, but it didn't feel right at the time. We wanted to create everything that was involved within that film. Um, but the tone of it, when I was editing it, while I was writing it with the with the writers, um, they, they Jim and Lucy wrote it. I, I came up with the concept for it. Um, but when we were working on the tone of that, that was perfect. That was how we wanted this film to feel. So we used it um, and worked with it, but then didn't use it. It would have cost us about £250 per year to use it, um, So, which we thought actually was quite reasonable. Um, but it was so much better once we'd, we'd looked at it and thought about it and made our own. And, and Bill Newsinger, who's a filmmaker and a musician, um, worked on that music really hard and, and was determined to get it right and absolutely nailed it. So it was so much better than what we had, and it felt more organic it was ours we've made everything to do with it so you can use them during the creation i think um to set your tone and, and how you lay things out but avoid using them in your film for the final product uh, like the play see that's quite encouraging for my 80s set drama i'm writing and my dream of using five stars classic system addict is it as simple though as going online googling for the rights to a song and and filling in a form with your debit card handy um it can be um yeah it, it, it sometimes feels like um there, there's certain untouchable things i think in film people think oh that's untouchable i'll never be able to get that i'll never be able to do that um you can um and you should always have that mindset that, that you can if that's what you're aiming for and and certainly with music that's possible it is sometimes as simple as contacting through a website and asking um with nano 2 that's exactly what we did um we found people that own the rights uh, um, to the music, uh, contacted them, uh, and they were back to us within a couple of days, asking us what's it going to be used for, where's it going, um, you know, it was for festival use, and then eventually online. They came back with a quote and said, "This much, if you'd like to go ahead, let us know." Um, we also approached musicians as well that had um, the piano that some of the music's created with on, on uh, Nanu Two is played on, um, which actually during that making that album, I think Apex was throwing knives and forks and cutlery into that piano to make the specific sounds. Um, and that's the thing. And, and we spoke to a person who had this really mega expensive piano and he said he would do as a, a sound alike. And, and so that would cost like twice as much, which was because you had to pay for the, the rights to the music and also his time to do it. So, you know, once we realized we could create ourselves, that was much better. But yeah, it was as simple as finding the rights. And, and that's usually on a CD or um, you know, you can find it easily for a Google search um, and find out the person you need to contact. Give them a call, you know, and, and call them. They're not going to go, no, go away. We hate you because um, you're doing the right thing. You're not robbing it. You know, you're, you're contacting them and, and, and doing the professional thing as well. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's some some bands and some music is just untouchable. They, they won't let you use it, but you don't know unless you ask. And they're not just going to tell you to go away. They'll say, no, sorry, we don't do that. For you as a filmmaker, at what point do you start thinking about the music for your films? Is is that an aspect that is right there at the start of the process? Uh, sometimes music's a, the, the, almost a birth. Like You can listen to a song and, and it starts to give you a tone of an idea. And I know with that particular one, I listened to that song and I had it on my iTunes so I could tell how many times I'd listened to it. And over a week I'd listened to it nearly 50 times and it was just going around and around and around and slowly the the cogs were turning and, and, and the, the film was coming together and the tone of the film was coming together that it, it needed to be something that was kind of hopeful but with a melancholy in there as well. And that was what we wanted to try and aim for tonally with everything. So sometimes that music's there right from the start. Um, some films I've made that aren't perhaps, perhaps don't mean so much that I think I've, we've made for fun that I don't consider music until the end. So Dolls, for instance... Um, I knew we needed something because it was based around a, like one of those little ballerina boxes that you open and you get the ting, 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 and the ballerina goes around. 
Um, and I spoke to a guy called Chris Terse, who's, uh, a, again, a filmmaker, but also an excellent um, music producer. Um, and he's a big horror fan as well. So he was the perfect guy to ask. And I spoke to him and, and, and he looked at it and the music was applied to that afterwards. Um, but it really brought the film alive. And I was always aware that I needed something. The film was working visually um, and uh, the audio design was fine. We needed something to just take it to the next level. And that was always going to be that audio motif of what that box was doing accompanied by what was being said. So as the boy whispers, they're my friends, you know, about these dolls. Um, it's just ticking away in the background, lifting what he's saying. Um, and I remember Chris sending it over. Um, it was literally the last thing we added, um, apart from a couple of credits, um, was uh, he sent it over and said, I hope you like it. I've gone a bit exorcisty. Um, and, and it was great. It's perfect. We watched it and, and tested it with a few people and were like, the music's great. I was like, yeah, really works. So that was right at the end. So it, sometimes it's a start, sometimes it's the end. Sometimes while you're editing, it can help. I sometimes edit with a tone track. So if I've got something that I think matches the tone of the film, then I'll play that and, and I'll have it. I won't perhaps cut to it because I know that that's going to be coming along later on, but to just get me thinking in the right way, I might play something in the background while editing and, and, um, and working on the visual. Let's pause here for a music break. And as Keith mentioned, Nanu 2 by Aphex Twin, we can use that as a nice little bridge. That track was used in Dead Man's Shoes, the second feature film by Shane Meadows. And Shane's grounding in music seeps through and builds on what accompanied his debut, A Room for Romeo Brass, where the soundtrack featured Ian Brown, Fairport Convention and Billy Bragg, among others. The track I've picked from Dead Man's Shoes seems to build on the gently unnerving tone that permeates the entire film and it's called Vessel in Vain by Smog. I can't be held responsible Things I say For I am just A vessel In vain And I can't be held responsible Things I see For I am just A vessel In vain No boat out Standing right here beside me now 
most of them with a smile. My ideals have got me on the run towards my connection with everyone. My ideals have got me on. This is OK Commuter, my name's Nathan Human, and this episode I am chatting to filmmaker Keith Allett about how you approach soundtracking for your film with a limited or even no budget. Let, let's imagine you don't have the budget or the contacts to leave a message for Hans Zimmer to score your next film. What are the options for low or even no budget filmmaking? Um, well, um, it's interesting. I'd always encourage that you, you pay someone and you pay them their, their worth and, and do that. Sometimes I'm aware, obviously, that's not that's not a, a, a possibility, especially in independent filmmaking, especially if you're starting out and um, all those things. You, you, you want to get your film made. I'd always encourage if you're going to do that, then you have, uh, and this happens a lot in the filmmaking community, is, is, is a mutual um, sort of, pro, uh, 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 not, not mutual profiting it's like mutual sort of um, appreciation of each other so if somebody does some music for you then provide them with something that you can do um, whether that's writing something or, or, f- or helping them film something um, that you provide them with as much value as they've provided you and uh, sometimes people really like the film um, with Bill I'd always we work in similar spheres uh, and so on Flawless he, he really liked the script and he'd never actually made a film at that point in the way that we made it Phil, uh, Bill's a very documentary makes beautiful beautiful films and experimental films as well um, but it likes to shoot sort of quite spontaneously um, and this was obviously planned because it was a shoot the shots to plan and he really enjoyed that element of it um, and really bought into the idea and wanted to make the music so, so it didn't take much asking with that it was great Bill was fantastic um, but you know you've got to sell it right if you're doing that and offer something back um, the actual, uh, there's there's times where we've actually paid for music to, to for musicians to make things um, which is obviously what you should be doing but if you haven't got a budget that sort of mutual sort of um, appreciation of what you can do for the other person is really important um, technically of what you can get you can get great stuff for, for, for nothing, you know, for, for not much. Um, there's lots and lots of um, different types of software and plugins and things now that provide really convincing audio. I, there's nothing worse for me than hearing a synth string. I hate synth strings. Um, so, you know, your chances of getting a full orchestra on 
aren't great. You, you can, you know, if you find somebody who knows one, there are around. The, you know, there are there's some really decent sort of like college orchestras around as well who play really good stuff. Universities can have orchestras, um, and contacting them is really good. The only problem you're going to have is the recording of it and making sure that it comes across as powerfully as an orchestra can sound. Um, so that's going to be difficult to get that whole Hans Zimmer feel of you know immense strings going on. Um, but I'd look at it as uh, if you, you know there are there are violinists and cello players and, and all manner of different types of players around Leicester and around the region who you know can make beautiful things with a single string um, or experiment and and turn the, the, the their instruments into lots of different sounding things. Um, and quite often having an idea of what you want is the only thing you need because you can let and musicians sort of run with it. So, like with dolls, the only remit I gave Chris was it's a ballerina box and it needs to sound spooky. Go for it, you know, whatever you like. And he came back with everything. You know, I didn't go, but it's got to sound like this. I wasn't. It was. I knew that Chris knew that better than I did. He would come up with something better than me just going like this, ding, 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 or whatever. You know, he came up with the tune and everything. So there are lots of things that you can put in there that make it sound really, really professional. Um, don't count out bigger sounds. You can get them. It's just you, you've got to know the technical issues that you're going to have doing it. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's in any way similar, like how there are now multiple ways online for artists and creators to share their work and, and for for people to go on and, and use it. For example, if you're um, a graphic designer or making a website, you don't need to, to book a flight or train somewhere to snap your photo of a snow-top mountain. You can go online to somewhere like Shutterstock and browse images they have for sale there. Is there an equivalent for filmmakers to get music? Yeah, there are a few. Yeah, there's some really good ones. Um, uh, I could name them all, but there's quite a few of them, and I can't remember all of them at the moment. But one I use quite a lot is Free Music Archive. And there are thousands and thousands of songs on there, but they are all under different copyright um, agreements. Um, and they've ranged from um, completely uh, open for use in any way you like. So you can uh, edit it, you can um, speed it up, slow it down, um, you can use it for commercial work, um, whatever you want. And those are, those are available on there. And then there are others where artists want paying for um, certain things. That's fine. And I've done that before. I've taken their song contacted the artist uh, one we used for a, a promo for a company and it cost us 25 pounds i think and it's really really nice professional sounding piece of music that we wanted um really quick fix for something that we needed um and they were happy to give it to us a little edit note here i am a t-shirt wearing advocate of the free music archive and the title music for this show was sourced from there you'll see the links and the license terms in the show notes for every episode the track is by spinning macaber Okay, in in terms of that agreement, uh, was that a one-off payment or do you have to keep paying each year when the film's in use? It was a one-off payment, £25, you can have the song in perpetuity and um, you don't have to pay for it again. Um, But always, when you use those sites, if you find the song that you like, you have to check what that agreement is. And I'd always credit, even if it is something that has no um, rights reserved to it, so you can use it however you like, put the name of the song and the artist and then underneath um, a link to the uh, agreement that you'll find on that website and then also quote uh, state underneath it what that license is called um, and then you really are covering yourself. I do think it is a super convenient way of getting music even if there are occasions when you get lost down a rabbit hole of listening to so much different music. Um, in relation to your projects is it your preference to work with musicians first 
and and use online sources as a backup? Yeah, um, it depends on the project, really. Um, we're working on a project now um, with four young filmmakers um, that uh, are they're making films about dangers, technological dangers based around computers and phones that young people might face, might not know about. Um, and each one of those films are a drama or narrative of some form. Um, and they're taking a lot of care and attention over it. Um, and I've, just this project feels like it needs to be nurtured correctly. Um, so I really want musicians to work with each young filmmaker on those and they can direct them. And that's a really good experience. Um, if that's not affordable, then we'd have to look at where else we can get music from. And then that would still be a lesson of going online and finding that music and doing it. I just don't think it's be as much of a organic sort of lesson of creating everything yourself. It does feel a little bit like you're buying it in sometimes. Um, if I'm doing a corporate and we're screwed down on the on the budget and there's not much, then I'll be on Free Music Archive like that, you know, no problem. Um, uh, some some shorts that I've done which are sort of throwaway, I'll go online. Um, I, I think it's sort of, you know, if you can work with a musician, but I think about their time. So if I'm making something that is throwaway, then I'd go online and I wouldn't waste their time with it because if they go off and do two days worth of work to create this beautiful piece of music and I put it on something that I'm just throwing away and put it online, there you go, have a look. It just feels like it's not treating their work correctly. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. It's very considerate too. And I'm just thinking how how much more considerate you might need to be of musicians in terms of like you were saying in kind that there's not a payment for musicians but you try and help them out and in that situation where there is a small or, or no fee at all how how much do you compromise um in terms of going back to them and saying this isn't quite what i had in mind and, and kind of requesting they do extra or more work um well i think that's like anything really if you're working in kind with people and, and, and on a sort of a mutual um, exchange of, of, of skills. You, you you have that with actors. You have that with camera op. You've got that with the sound ops. You know they can, they might come up with different things that might throw a spanner in the works as to what it is that you actually want. Um, it's about how you deal with the person. So dealing with the musicians like dealing with an actor in that sense, I'd say, um, which is um, finding the right way to communicate, which is you know appreciating what it is that they do, um, but you know making it clear that what the duties are and what your job is in this and you know you've got the whole creative vision which you need to take into effect and they haven't so what i'm you know looking for is this um and and trust me i know i, mean, I really like what you've done obviously it's great but for this film perhaps it doesn't quite work um and i'd like to look at this and and, and go for that again appreciation of their time is thing is the most important thing not wasting their time and not taking up too much of it and taking the mick by you know, constantly going back and reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it and going like, you know, just change that note. Um, you know, be clear on what you want and you should get back what you want pretty well. So a lot of that onus is on you from the start. Be really clear, you know, with, like I say, with Dolls, I was really open with it because it was kind of a fun project. It wasn't something that we were emotionally tied to really. Um, so it was like, let Chris loose on it a bit. And just with, you know, it needs to be a bit plinky plonky like a, a, a a ballerina box and and that was quite that worked well for that project but other projects have had to be really like needs to be like this does that relationship change at all when there's money involved um if, you, if you're giving a feed someone do you feel like no i'm paying you i want it to be exactly how i want it there is there is a sort of um part where i, I sort of get to a point where i go yeah i'm taking the mic now i've got to sort of pull back a bit but then there's a bit in me that sort of chirps and goes no you know you know, Spielberg wouldn't do that, you know, or, you know, Kubrick wouldn't have done that. It would have been about 78 times and had him over it, you know. You want to call yourself a filmmaker? You're like, yeah, but I'm also not a, a bit of a dick. But, you know, I want to try and be appreciative. But 
I think it's all depends on how clear you are and know what you want. I, I, I know a few people I've spoke to recently about film projects and, and asked them about, you know, what, what's this about? You know, where are we going? And they've not known. And it's sort of like, well, how can you write something like you've just written and not know where it's come from and not know what it's about? And that's sort of where things like music and performance and everything come from for me is that once you're, you're emotionally connected to this project and you know what it's about and why you're making it and where you're going with it and what you intend with it, um, and you should be clear about what it is that you're going to be able to tell um, a, a musician or an actor or whatever. Um, so being having that clarity at the start hopefully should avoid having to go back to the well too many times. There have been times where I've thought, you know, this is pushing it a bit. Most of the time with that, it's been we've had to do pickups and going back to locations, the locations get a bit annoyed with you. It's like, you only said you were going to be here for an hour, this is the fifth day you've been here. You know? Coming up next, Keith talks about his love of Foley sounds, but we're going to have a musical interlude. I make no apologies about this next track, as it seems only right when talking about a love of movies to have the theme from a film which includes explicitly a love of movies. This is from Cinema Paradiso by Ennio Morricone.
it's interesting you say about reshoots there and how on studio films they have foley departments to make the sounds needed whereas if you're on a tight schedule you may just have a few hours in a location to get everything what happens then if if you don't get the sound you need is there a temptation to just say you know what forget it i'll i'll fill that bit with music i've always said if i wasn't directing the the job i'd love to do is foley i love foley it's like i i just think it's the most fun job um if you ever watch like go on youtube and put in you know foley videos and watch people doing foley it's absolutely brilliant it's like a room full of things that you just use to create you know different noises for different things and it's absolutely brilliant and we um girl a which we made recently i'd say it's about 75 percent foley and and um adr um most of the time because uh, there's long sequences where the character's walking uh, and the camera's behind her well we've got like about nearly a dozen people behind us so it sounds like it's a herd of elephants behind her as we're going you know going along we recorded all the original audio and used some of it um, what the actually the sound op did after that was they walked um, where she'd walked on their own with you know soft sole shoes or bare not barefoot but socks on, um, and just recorded it themselves and recorded it at the same pace by using one of the rushes to walk at the same pace and record the environment around her. So we used that. Um, we actually recorded her walking to the door, and that's Jess. She's got a phone in her hand with a loop playing of Betty walking to the door, and I'm behind her because that was you know there was a young um uh crew on that and the uh, sound up wasn't available on the day we were doing it so i stood in and, and just recorded her walking in and recorded it in different ways recorded it pointing at her feet pointing up at her back pointing at the front and, and loads and then tried to find the right one that fit to it so whenever you see betty walking it's jess's feet that you're hearing um and she's dubbed when she talks to the teacher the teacher is 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 dubbed in as well um lots of it is adr and lots of it is folded um it's just being creative the, the argument downstairs is ed spence and serena rye in the studio at the phoenix um shouting ed adopted some cockney accent for some reason which was brilliant and really worked well and they they went hell for lever at each other uh, but that's accompanied by the sound of smashing which is me in uh jesse's um kitchen throwing glasses and mugs across the room at the wall and smashing them with a the microphone pointing at it um, and then we combine them all together. Uh, the bang, bang, bang is me upstairs on the landing, I think, jumping up and down and falling over while they were downstairs recording it and then adding it to that. So just being creative with audio and that sort of thing is great. And it can stop you having to fill it, you know, with music and, and that sort of thing and thinking, right, I'll just whack a piece of music on there. You can create those in the sounds. There's no reason why you shouldn't go for it as well. We've, the films that we're working on at the moment, we know we're going to have to replace audio on them. Sorry, Keith, we just rewind a second. I'm aware sometimes that some terms might not be familiar to everyone. We mentioned Foley sounds, uh, which is producing everyday sounds like footsteps we mentioned before to be added to films. Could you just explain what ADR is, please? Um, ADR um, is uh, it audio dialogue replacement. Um, so... Um, normally it's, well, well, I could tell you for a girl, eh? So, uh, Betty's sat in a classroom, uh, and the scene starts of a, no, sorry, she's sat in the headmaster's office and she's talking, the headmaster's telling her, I want to see this sort of behavior again. You know, if, if you don't, then we'll have to tell your parents, which means nothing to her because her parents don't care. Um, and she sits looking off in the distance and, um, she leans back, leans forward and he says, I'm not going to see you in there again, am I? And she says, no. And then gets up and leaves. And then you've got this long tracking shot uh, where the camera's on a rig um, and you've got the half a dozen or a dozen people behind her all making noise as we're walking along behind her. So we couldn't use the audio from that. 
Um, so I had to replace the audio through Foley, which is just getting up and walking and recording. I do that step for step as Betty does it, and she watches it on her phone. Uh, but we needed to re-record that line of Betty saying no. Um, so it's quite an easy piece of ADR. Um, and Betty stood in front of um, a computer, which I put no on a loop for her. So it was her saying no, no. Right, and we took this audio out so she knew it and she got the rhythm of it and then she started to say it in different ways. So we you know, like no, 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 no. Like that, and did lots of different ways to it so that we could splice that in and put it in and then treat it so that it sounds like it's within that room. Uh and then we've got the the dialogue replaced and, and it's in there. It happens quite often if you're outside and you know, some somebody drives by and you don't catch a line or somebody goes, eh, 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 and then well, you need to get rid of that and you need to put their ADR back in. So yeah, it's replacing the dialogue that doesn't work that you want to keep. Right. So we've talked about options for music if you're on a low budget or even a no budget shoot. Uh you've currently got films out at festivals and getting great reviews. So say a producer comes along with a project she would like you to direct and she told you there was a substantial budget. Do you think that would now change your process at all? I don't think we'd change much. We'd pay people more um, if we could, um, definitely. Um, I don't think it'd change a great deal. We looked at we looked at Gourlay and, and, and Bill Newsinger had a look at that for music and Dave Donner had a look at it for music and none of us could really nail it down and then we thought well let's not have any music and the absence of music in that film accentuates what's happening um we watched it at the weekend at the um plug plug london short film festival and that was really good it's a great screening um at the another plug institute of contemporary arts um and that was, <laughs> it was really good there the films were fantastic quality but the but not having music in there was another film that did as well um called untitled which had jody whittaker and ashley walters in um, no music and it made you really focus in on the action and the words and what was being said and you hung off the words of the actor in Untitled and I think in Galay you sort of hang off the actions of the, the people in there and you look at the facial expressions and the music's, lack of music sort of accentuates that and, and accentuates a reality to it so sometimes the absence of music um, we have to be really careful with the sound on that because obviously we were open to everything and sometimes music might hide something in the background um, so we have to be really careful with how we, we design the audio there to make it as as, as accurate as possible um you know it'd be tempting that if you've got the right material to you know do a Hans Zimmer and get a massive orchestra in and go right let's do this um because I, I think especially with the amount of films that are made for festivals nowadays and there are thousands you know um I often I did a, a lecture the other week about film festivals where you know mentioned that Sundance can have anywhere around 12 13,000 films entered a year and that's not every film that's being made so there are thousands out there you need to find ways to make them stand out um ask yourself be honest you know have i seen this story before um what angle have i put on this to make it mine to make it that original aspect that it you know the story might not be original but my view of it is um what i'm doing differently with the actors and music and sound is as equally important as that as anything else what am i doing that's different here or what am i doing that's distinctive or or just more professional or better than what i'm seeing elsewhere if you can get in like a massive orchestra, then that's obviously something because that will notice noticeably happen. And and doing things like having surround sound and, and things like that are, are good as well. It will, it will make your work stand out. So you've not daydreamed about the big budget and getting the, the huge orchestra in? Well, I quite like um, films that are more um, sort of like a kitchen sink. I, I like that sort of thing. I like I like, I think there's an honesty in them. Not that you know films aren't honest, but it's just like a brutal honesty to them. I quite like those stories. Um, and music that's simple 
that sits there and can support that sometimes is great. I watched um, watched The Fits the other day. Um, so uh, a, 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 a film released last year, and in small indie film, really great, featured at Sundance, I think. Um, fantastic um, performance by the lead, whose first name I can't remember, Royalty Hightower. That's her name. Um, young female actor, I'd say about 12 years old. Um, and she plays a boxer and she wants to, she sees people dancing and she wants to join the jan- dance group and then they start to have fits and it's why they're having fits. Uh, it was a brilliant film. The music was so integral to what was going on. There was a brutal reality to it as well about, you know, not brutalism, it was horrible, but just everything was so on the money for reality sets. But it also had this sense of the unreal in there as well, which the music did and helped sort of lift in, you know, switch to slow-mo did as well. So those sorts of films I really liked. And that music was really minimal. You know, there was it, there was almost drone sometimes, um, and then it moved into this beautiful lyric towards the end that came into it, and was really simple. I really liked that. I liked how they'd taken a kitchen sink sort of approach, but music elevated it. But it was really simple and done really well. But it would be nice, you know, if you were going in and, and doing a Inception and getting a Philharmonic in and doing it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be wicked. I think there's something nice about that, though, that you'd like to carry on with the same team and turn to them and say, hey, do you want to be involved on this bigger project now? Well, we know we make good stuff. That's the thing, you know, and, and combined as a unit, um, the films we've made, sort of, especially over the last five years, um, we've been a sort of consistent unit of making them and we've, we work well together um, and we, we create good stuff that's that's screened at really sort of reputable places so it would be let's i think it'd be more nerve-wracking because it'd be like right well we've all got money but this surely should go further now you know if we can if we've got this money to do this and we should be able to invest it in a way that will make us stand out even more and go to different places and uh, and that sort of thing so i think the pressure would increase but i certainly wouldn't change too much um I, as every project sort of dictates, really. You know, if we get a story, I think I love that story. Um, story's everything. Um, and, and whatever gets connected and attached to that as you go along the process of making it has to support that story. And if you're watching it and going, this needs, you know, a 100-piece orchestra, let's do it, um, then it needs it, you know. Or if it needs, you know, me playing two notes on a piano, then it needs it, you know, or, or, or whatever, or throwing cutlery into a piano and bashing the keys, then it needs it. Um, and now I'm sure that costs is what it costs. If we've got an unlimited budget, then we'll do it. Uh, you mentioned how music has sometimes been the catalyst for the story or films you've been involved in. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us some of the, the favourite ones, um, either because of how they've worked with the film you've made or you just like the composition. And I will say, feel free to mention um, any music soundtracks from films you haven't made at this point that you might like. Um, yeah, I, I mean, from the films that we've we've done, um, certainly Bill's work on Flawless, which just nailed the tone of it, and it, it, you know, it's it has the same tone as Nano Two, but it sounds different to it. was a girl who lost all joy. Where it went, she could not say, but why it left, that shaped her life. There was a woman who lived for patterns and sequences, like birds in formations. She knew the world was built around these sequences, and that if she could figure them out, 
she would understand everything. She was an alchemist, a word her father taught her. Someone who breaks things down to understand them and rebuild them as something different, something precious. He showed her the elements and the sequences of their mass. She wasn't a princess, but to her, her father was a king. Um, it is was brilliant, and he put so much work into that. To, and and emotionally as well, everybody seemed really emotionally connected to that film, and and he he it meant a lot to him to get it right, and he really nailed it. Just the the sheer skill of Chris knowing a horror movie and 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 elevating what was an all right little horror into something else by the skill of his music um, to take it into this creepier thing that just made Leo's performance creepier, made the whole concept creepier. Um, that that music which was diegetic really was diegetic actually it wasn't outside the scene it's inside of the scene until you get to the credits when it becomes non-diegetic um brilliant you know so so good As far as watching, um, there's a piece that <laughs> all my students know it. Um, they all reference it, and I love it. It is fantastic. And it is uh, a Hans Zimmer piece, which is Time from Inception, um, which is so, it builds and builds and builds so much. I can't, you know, it's hard to look past Hans Zimmer over the last sort of five, ten years, and, you know, looking at um, uh, his score for Interstellar as well, which was like so rousing and, uh, and, and really takes you to places. So I think sometimes if, Nolan gets accused of being quite emotionally flat, then it's Zimmer that's the one that's giving it the emotion. You know, you know uh, Matthew McConaughey sits down and watches 23 years worth of his daughter, of his son and his daughter at the end, and it's the little things behind it that, you know, support it and, and take it to places that Zimmer can do. Um, but Time by Inception seems to be really popular amongst my students for using, um, and, and also using for um, getting into performances as well, because it's such an emotional piece that builds. Um, sometimes it can help them to get to places, you know, to cry or to be emotionally connected to something. So that that certainly stands out. Um, and also, I've always said that if there was a piece, if films were judged on how quickly you could identify them as like this is this is that from the moment that it presses play, then Jaws would be the best film of all time, which I think it is anyway. But because um, the first thing of going like no nah, no nah, that comes in is just genius. It's absolute genius that that. Something so iconic is so simple and, and brilliant, so brilliant. Um, John Williams is obviously incredible. Um, sometimes amongst friends, one gets accused of rehashing the same score that Star Wars sounds like, Indiana Jones, it sounds like, um, Superman, that sounds like a bit like Jurassic Park. You're like, all right, okay, fine. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it too much. You know, it's all right, just rearrange it a little bit. Um, but Jaws is so much of its own thing. I just love it. And, and, there's so many. It's like when they're on at the sea, you got this, which is great. It matches exactly what's going on, and I feel there's a jaunty nature to it at times. There's really threatening and menacing to it. The score is absolutely incredible throughout that film, and I love it. 
might never notice before how parts of that Jaws theme echo West Side Story. Maybe Sheriff Brody needed the help of Officer Kripke. Thank you so much to filmmaker Keith Allett for giving up his time to have me bug him with questions. You can follow Keith on Twitter at BadShoes7 and find his films on Vimeo by searching for Keith Allett. I've also shared direct links to a couple of the films we've talked about on our social media as well as on the show page on our website. You can find that at okcommuter.co.uk and Twitter and Facebook, we are okcommuterpod. As always, thank you so much for listening and especially to those of you who have been saying nice things about the show and sharing it around. That is very much appreciated. Thank you. To play out this episode, it seems fitting to end on a piece of music mentioned by Keith. This is Time by Hans Zimmer from Inception. Inception.